Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here. Welcome to another My Quest for the Best Booster episode, consisting of a favorite part of the episode book on track one and a related tip, tool, or technique to help you in your business on track two. Let's dive in. Welcome to Booster episode 22.7. Today on track one, I'd like to share with you a story that Lance tells in his book, The Wee Gear, about when he and his friend Richie, as teenagers, convinced a BMW salesman to let them test drive a high-end sports car. He says that the car had semi-automatic transmission that he had never seen before, and it's sometimes referred to as a clutchless manual transmission, which means that the transmission functioned as an automatic transmission unless you engage the manual option that required the driver to shift gears manually. Semi-automatic transmissions are more common today than back then. He says that when he drove off the lot, the car was in automatic transmission and along the route, he stopped at a traffic light and unknowingly activated the manual transmission. The light turned green and as he started driving down the highway, he knew something was wrong. The car wasn't shifting into the higher gear. The engine kept revving and he wasn't sure what to do. From the back seat, he heard his friend Richie say, shift. Yes, he thought. I need to shift, but how do I do that? The salesman from the BMW shop was sitting in the passenger seat and he remained awkwardly quiet. Lance assumed that he wasn't saying anything because he wanted to make the sale and didn't want to risk offending him and his friend Richie by pointing out his ignorance. But the engine raced even louder and with greater urgency. From the back seat, Richie repeated, shift. The tachometer was now well into the red and he was panicking. Lance couldn't find the shifter lever to change the gears or the switch to put the car back into automatic mode. On the floor. The shifter is on the floor, Richie hissed. Shift. At last, he found the shifter lever and got the car back in automatic mode. He felt embarrassed, yet relieved. Without Richie, he would have blown the car's engine for sure. The moral is, is that we don't always recognize, quote, clutch moments in our lives, and we don't always know how to shift into the Wii gear. Sometimes we need a Richie, a teammate who will relentlessly encourage us to shift, says Lance. To conclude this track, I have two questions for you. Who do you know at work who would step in to help you in a situation where you were overwhelmed and not at your best? And my second question is, how many of your work colleagues would name you as their go-to person for this level of support? This is track two, where I want to share with you an important distinction that has helped many of my private coaching clients who are also ambitious small business leaders. It's a distinction between complaining and confronting. When you're complaining, you're in a powerless state that amplifies and perhaps distorts the problem. It may make you feel less alone to find others to sympathize with your perspective, but it does little to solve the problem and is a very risky direction for anyone who wants to rise as a leader in the company. Confronting is a tool or technique. It's used when you get clear about the cause of a problem that is no longer acceptable and you address it with the person who's responsible and able to make the change. It's rarely a pleasant conversation, but it doesn't have to be unpleasant when you do it with the right preparation. Here are three tips to help you use confrontation productively and effectively. I'll follow up with an example to highlight the distinctions further. Number one, when you identify an issue that has to change, get clear on the specific behavior that you want to change. Behavior drives results. Number two, request a short meeting because confrontation is best done privately, not in a hallway or as an add-on to another meeting or call. Number three, after you clarify the cause and effect that you want to produce, ask for an agreement. Informing someone can enlarge awareness. Gaining agreement establishes stakes in the relationship for both of you. Even if you 
you don't have a direct reporting relationship. Lori, a member of my private coaching group, is a senior manager at a fintech company based in Philadelphia who was in the office one afternoon when she overheard Jessica complaining to a new group of small hires in the break room. Lori had met Jessica, but they weren't on the same team. Lori took her coffee and went back to her office. And when Jessica walked by a short while later, she asked if she had 10 minutes now or sometime later that afternoon to talk about something she had heard. Jessica said now would be fine. So Lori confronted her about what she heard and asked Jessica if she had gotten the gist of the conversation correctly. Then she asked Jessica what the impact of that kind of complaining had on others. Jessica said that she hadn't thought about it and then complained to Lori. There's nothing wrong with having an opinion. And my opinion is that having us drive into work for no reason is stupid. Other managers and other teams aren't doing it. Lori stepped in and said, right, you've identified some issues that would be useful to sort out. The policy, though, is the policy, which is why I'm here today and having meetings with my team. If you had a one on one with your manager and let him know that you wanted to share some feedback on the return to office policy and the inconsistent compliance with it that was causing morale problems and stress, how do you think it would affect how we viewed you? Jessica replied, like a snitch who was telling on her friends. Lori nodded. Maybe. I get that concern of yours. Isn't it possible that there are other ways that it might be taken? Like you're giving valuable input on a policy that isn't working and actually having unintended consequences. It might lead to changes. It might not. But isn't that a more productive direction than just complaining in the break room and venting to your friends? Lori asked Jessica to give it some thought and come back the next day to chat. Jessica agreed to do that and to be aware of when she wanted to complain to people who had no ability or authority to change things. In this case, a mentoring relationship might develop between Lori and Jessica because Lori chose to confront the toxic behavior of complaining. This is one of the topics that we address in my new course, Six Ways to Improve Your Work Relationships Now. Find out more about it on the show notes for this episode or at askbillringle.com. Let me know what you think of this distinction between complaining and confronting. This is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best and founder of Grow Business Now. Each week, I work with overwhelmed managers in privately held high-tech firms and help them become admired leaders who can grow and scale the business. Follow and connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter, and let me know what parts of this booster episode that you found useful as an ambitious small business leader. I'm so glad you're here. You really make a difference.